Podcasting Networks presents Coach Talk Radio. Create the time, money, and lifestyle you want with tips, tricks, and techniques that get you started today from some of the best internet minds in the business. Now, here is your host, internet brand strategist, Sandra Beck. Hey, guys and dolls. This is Sandra Beck, and I'm here with um, Scott Lopez, and we are visiting today about mental toughness, mental fitness, and this is something I had to learn. I think we're born with a certain level of mental toughness. I think we acquire it and uh, get better with age, better with time, and I think adversity and all those things that knock us down when we get back up again, we build mental toughness. Now, I'd like to introduce you to Scott. He's been on the show before, but for those of you who haven't met him before, Scott, welcome to the show. I am super excited to be here. Thank you. Scott, tell us a little bit about your background, because you have a very unique background, especially for somebody who, um, you're a radio host, you're a money guy, you're a former uh, pilot, you're always a Marine. Um, these things are all things that toughen you up. Were you a tough kid? You know, I was a welfare kid, and my parents were divorced when I was two and a half years old. I grew up with, my, with a single mom who moved me around uh, quite a bit before I lived with my dad. And um, I think I think between like third grade and eighth grade, I went to five different schools, maybe six. So I don't think I was that much of a tough kid. I was a kid that uh, had to adjust to a lot of different situations. So it, it's been a process, really, a lifelong journey for me to, um, to to get tough, right? To get tough mentally, get tough physically, and and I think the get tough part is really just believing myself. Um, put, you know, to, to have confidence, to, you know, be able to handle adversity and, and still perform under pressure and, and the things that life throws you. Well, I know, like, I always thought of myself as this giant goofball. You know, I like to read. I'd read my romance novels. I'd float in my lake. And, you know, everything was sunny, warm, and wonderful. But I started playing hockey with my brothers when I was young. And I realized, like, there was this fire in me, like a jet engine, that didn't like to lose. And I wasn't a poor loser, but I didn't like to lose. And I would throttle it forward as much as I could, you know, to, to, to win and whatever I was doing, whether it was a grade, whether it was a, um, you know, played hockey with my brothers just to keep up all those things I think shaped me. But when I went through my first big epic failure in life, um, I had a company that failed and that was really hard for me because I think you've got to have tools to fail successfully and I took a lot of lumps that first failure and I've had subsequent failures since but I think I had the the belief set after my first big failure that I could just rally I could just you know whatever it is I'm not going to die I won't be dead tomorrow and if I am you know well too bad so sad um but there are tools to being tough there are be tools to being resilient there are tools to being successful after failure it really becomes a a mindset issue you know I think it's really how you look at uh, look at life and whether it's a self-responsibility self-acceptance um, you know, I'm in charge of myself. Um, however, 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 excuse me. Um, or do you, uh, or are you a victim, right? You just um, take what life gives you and feel sorry for yourself. So is it that, is, I think it's the first, the first big part of it is, 
are you a victim or are you a um, somebody who takes charge and takes you know self responsibility? That's the first big uh, part of it. The second part of it is um, how do you look at failure? Do you look at uh, every situation as a win, or do you look at it as an opportunity to learn something and improve? Because if you look at, if you look at your adversity in life as an opportunity to improve, then there is no failure, right? There's only lessons learned. Yeah, I think I'm a little slow on the uptake, um, <laughs> you know, with the lessons learned. And I think I needed to feel sorry for myself for a little bit. I couldn't switch gears. Like, I'm not an 18-wheeler that can switch gears from one, you know, to two really quickly. Um, and I agree with you getting out of victim mode uh, as quickly as possible because when you get stuck in victim mode or you get stuck in, you know, that analysis paralysis, which I see a lot of my friends doing, they, they go bananas over the why. And, you know, the why is pretty good if you want to learn from your mistakes, but it doesn't get you from point A to point B faster. And that's one of the hard lessons I had to learn was, you know, the why changes with new information, the why, and most of the time the why doesn't even matter. Why did this happen? Why did this happen to me why 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 you could spend a lifetime exploring why and it would always change it's a great point and i think it's again back to perspective and mindset one of the uh you know one of the things that i see in society at large is that very few people actually take self-responsibility and how do we know that well we just look at the results of most of the people in life i think most people underperform right we're not taught to be um self-responsible we're taught to look at big governments or we're taught to look at society as taking care of us or, you know, we have this entitlement attitude. We want it now. We don't know how to work for things and we get upset when we don't get them right away. We're impatient. Um, it is a it is a philosophy of wisdom and, and achievement that self-responsibility, be persistent, take your time, focus on improvement, and your results will get there. You just don't see that. Um, you just don't see that at large, though. I mean, would you agree with that? I know, I know. When I was growing up, a lot of people didn't tell me about self responsibility. Um, I didn't really learn that until I started to get into high school sports or maybe some of the extracurricular activities where I was graded on my performance, just my performance only. Well, see, my dad was Navy, Scott, and you had to straighten up and fly right. You know, your room needed to be <laughs> ship-shaped. Like, I could go all day with, you know, these military things. My dad would wake me up going, it's time to get up, it's time to get up, it's time to get up in the morning. And, and you know, he was all about self-responsibility, so much so that I took it the opposite effect. I took it on that everything was my responsibility. Um, there was no victim mentality in our household. If you got knocked up, you... Knocked down, you got up. If you failed a test, you went in and, and talked to the teacher. You redid it. You 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 did whatever you needed to do to succeed. And you know, I think as a result, my brothers and sisters and I have all become very successful in the world. But we've also become really tough. You know, um, and we don't teach our kids toughness today. At least I don't see it. You know, and I'm not going to get into every kid gets a medal, every kid gets a trophy. I've, I've beat that horse ad nauseum. But when you don't know how to fail, when you don't know how to lose, and I think of my son's third grade teacher, Mrs. Woolman, she called me one day and she said, you know, I'm really worried about Max because he doesn't know how to fail. And now this is in third grade. And she's like, he's tall, he's athletic, he's smart, he's funny. She goes, I'm going to give him a test. And I'm 
purposely going to give him something that he will not be able to do. And she's like, I want you to work through him with him, the steps of failure. And this was really important because Scott, we don't like our kids to fail in this generation. You know, we want to comfort them and, you know, pad them. And, you know, who gets a trophy for ninth place? I I just had to slide that in. If you're nine out of 10,000, it's one thing. But, you know, when you're nine out of nine, you do not get a trophy or a ribbon or a participation medal because everybody wants to soften the blow. We don't need to soften the blow. We need to teach children and ourselves what to do when the blows come because they will. Well, what about two points to that? And I, I'm in full agreement with you. What about a graduation ceremony for kids, you know, going from kindergarten to first grade or a graduation ceremony for going from, you know, sixth grade to seventh grade? I didn't have a graduation ceremony. It wasn't, you know, gowns and caps. It was just like, okay, we're done with school. You're on to the next thing. I, I think it's, I think it's interesting. Um, oh, you're so polite. I'm just going to say it's stupid. When my kids finished preschool they did this graduation you would have thought the pope was coming to town there were flowers there were cupcakes there were all this stuff you know my kid's four he doesn't know what's going on give him a balloon or a you know some what's that stuff you blow bubbles with but all of that celebration is for the parents but it is damaging to our kids because not every benchmark gets a celebration you know scott if you worked for me i will not give you a hug and a flower in your paycheck you get your paycheck you go home you do your thing whatever and maybe you get a, a job well done if you're lucky well you know it's the psychology of motivation and psychology of leadership and i think there is um you know i, I think um i don't want to say this being a professional means giving it your best no matter what the situation is, right? And you are definitely a professional. There is a time when we need to inspire people because, you know, human beings do have emotions and we want to bring out the best in them and we want them to take ownership and we want them to uh, do their best when we're not there. So there is kind of a little bit of a balance. Um, and I think this is when, when we can get into a little bit of the woo-woo part of uh, heart-centered leadership and, you know, leadership by example. Um, you know, I'll go to back for you. I've got your back. And when I'm not there, hopefully you'll have have my back as well. But when we're talking about adversity, um, when we're talking about mental toughness, let's let's talk about a a timely topic, which is Hurricane Harvey. Can you imagine, you know, hundreds of thousands of people within the, you know, the the period of just a couple of days um, just had their homes washed away? You know, they're they're, they're out of, you know, they're they're not back to the third world almost, right? They're living in, you know, high school gyms or got, you know, old people in, nursing homes, you know, floating away uh, on TV. I saw that on TV. I couldn't believe it. Like, what do you think about uh, just, you know, how fast life can, can hit you with adversity and whether it's natural disasters or it can be, you know, personal things. But what do you think about Hurricane Harvey and the people of Houston and South Texas and how they've handled that? Well, I think it's a good lesson for all of us that all this stuff is just stuff. You know, at the end of the day, you look at what people grabbed most, their pets, their children, their family members. You know, they weren't trying to lug a couch out. They weren't trying to get their BMW out of the driveway, at least not what I saw in the news. But I think it boiled us down to what's really important in life and what matters. And, you know, I feel bad for these people because it's brutal what they went through. But at the end of the day, it's all stuff. And I think that we all have to focus 
on what are we going to take with us beyond the stuff? You know, what are we going to take with us to our next house, to our next adventure, to our next failure? What comes with us? Because your BMW, your couch, your, you know, Rolex watch doesn't come with you. Only you and what you've built internally, you can guarantee comes with you. I'm here today with Scott Lopez. This is Coach Talk Radio. We're talking about mental toughness, mental fitness. What does it take to succeed? Anybody can succeed once. What does it take to succeed again and again? We'll be exploring this after the break. of our own voice, it always sounds different than we think. This is because the bones in our skull create a resonance from within that makes our voice sound deeper to us. But our recorded voice is how others hear us. I'm sure I'm not the first person who has uttered the words, I really don't sound like that. Do I? Margaret Thatcher famously underwent vocal training to lower her voice and make her sound more statesmanlike. Recently, British Airways polled Americans and Britons to see who they believed had the sexiest voices. Morgan Freeman was voted number one. If a judge loves the sound of his own voice, expect a long sentence. What's a word for a person who loves to hear the sound of their own voice? A philodox. It's marching I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. With our busy lives, it's so easy to skip breakfast. For me, breakfast is my least favorite meal of the day. And if I didn't know better, I would omit it, but I don't. Eat This, Not That reports that studies show that people who take time for a morning meal consume fewer calories over the course of the day, have stronger cognitive skills, and are 30% less likely to be overweight or obese. On top of that, people who skip breakfast are more likely to drink alcohol and smoke, and they're less likely to exercise. The key is to choose a breakfast that works for you and not against you. Select low-fat yogurt, oatmeal, whole-grain cereal with skim milk, or a fresh apple with almond butter. Choose a healthy breakfast and don't forget to exercise. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. Hey guys and dolls, this is Sandra Beck and I'm here with Scott Lopez and we're talking today about mental fitness, mental strength, mental toughness. What I found in my life, Scott, is that if you don't have the mental game taken care of, you're almost dead in the water. 
when my mom died, when I went through a foreclosure, went through a divorce, all these things happened to me with a calendar within a calendar year. It was like being knocked over by the ocean. Like, you know, I'd just get on my feet and it would knock me over again. And, you know, I'd step up again and knocked over again. And, you know, this happened over a period of about 18 months till everything really resolved itself. And for a while there, I, I you know, went into the turtle and, and, and didn't know what to do. But then you pull on your core strengths, which is what can I do today to get me to where I want to be? And I wish I had some great, like Albert Einstein quote, that was actually from the Lego Ninjago series. I was watching it with my kids one night, sitting up in my big bed, and we used to watch Ninjago, we'd watch Star Wars, whatever, and this um, Sensei Wu comes on, and he's like, he stood up in front of the TV, and he's like, you know, focus on what you can do today to get you to where you want to be. And just imagine this little Lego figurine. And it was like this, like, bright light shined, and the angels sang, and it's like, that's it. I'm going to focus on what I need to do today to get me to where I want to be. And I've held on to that that statement for like 18 or gosh, now maybe nine years. I even have Sensei Wu in my office because when I look at him, that little Lego figurine, I think about what can I do today to get me to where I want to be? Because you have to stay present. If you are in crisis mode, if you have to be mentally tough, you have to put 90% into the present and 10% into what's coming next and nothing in the past. Uh, you know, there's so many things that we can talk about right now there. It's very good. Um, what is mental toughness? That's the definition. You know, in my mind, it's performance under pressure, uh, adversity, uh, criticism, rejection. You know, when everything is, you know, on top of you, um, how do you perform at the highest levels? And being in the moment, staying connected to your breath, right? I mean, this is very important. Being able to breathe, whether we're doing public speaking whether we're doing an athletic event, whether we're uh, talking to customers, whether we're doing a radio show, being present and breathing, you know, connects us back to our heart, right? And if we get into a spiritual perspective, that connects us back to the universe and God, and which is, you know, which is where we're all um, at our most strongest uh, and grounded and present. When you see somebody like Michael Jordan, you know, go or or, or Kobe Bryant or you know, or LeBron James go off for you know, 80, 90, 100 points in a game and they just can't miss and they're in the zone, that's performance under pressure, right? That's performance, uh, they're breathing and they, there's nothing that they can't do wrong because they're completely connected. And I think that's because they've prepared. I think that they've, they've put in the time, the training, they know their stuff, um, whether it be their athletic abilities or their mental abilities, their physical, their emotional uh, they've got a dream, a goal, and they've prepared, they've prepared, they've prepared. So no matter what happens, they are confident, they can rise to the occasion, um, and they're ready to go. So I think preparation is a big part of it. I think breathing is a big part of it. And I think just having the big picture perspective of knowing things are probably going to go wrong, uh, that's life. Be ready for it. Don't get blindsided. And most uh, most things that would derail uh, the masses are not going to derail you or our listeners. Well, and, you know, we talk about breathing. I just want to go back to breathing for a second because 
you know, many years ago when I first became aware of like four square breathing, you know, things like that, I thought, well, this is just so dumb. Like I can breathe. I've been breathing since I was a baby. But the fact of the matter is when we get stressed, we don't breathe. We hold our breath all day long and we're reducing our oxygen load in our brain. We're making our heart pound harder. All these things were causing that stress response to just elevate. And did they teach you breathing in the military? Did they teach you that four square breathing? Um, believe it or not, uh, they didn't. What they did do, though, was push us so hard in uh, recruit training and officer candidate school, where you basically are, you know, you've got to perform, uh, you know, two, three, four days straight uh, sleep deprivation. And um, it's interesting. I don't think we ever took a yoga class. We didn't do a meditation class. But there's such a focus on being present in self-leadership and self-improvement in um, discipline that uh, it just kind of ha- naturally happened. <laughs> well, and I think, you know, many of us don't think about these things. And and when you're under stress, like one of the things I do, like I can always tell when I'm under stress because I get like, it looks like I like put all this makeup on my face. I get like bright red cheeks and I'm like, I all I have to do is catch a glimpse of myself and I'm like, okay, you got to slow it down. You got to slow down your breathing. You got to take a minute because when we get ourselves under control in a stressful situation, we can become so much more effective. Now, I was trained as a lifeguard. I was a lifeguard in high school and college and keeping your freak down was a big part of it. You know, I remember a guy came in and there was like, this bone sticking out of his leg. And I'm like, don't worry, you're going to be fine. We got it all covered. Everything's going to be okay. Now, internally, I was like, Oh, my God, is that a bone sticking out? You know, but you can't, you can't go there. And I think a lot of these careers that prepare you for first responder, police or military, um, they teach us these things, but they're really, really effective in business. They're absolutely effective in business, because, you know, one of the biggest, um, one of the biggest uh, challenges in business, I think, for people who are, uh, you, know, entrepreneur, you know, entrepreneurial spirit is that they, they let the um, opinions of other people, you know, um, stop them. They, they, it's what we would, you know, call approval addiction. Now, approval addiction, I think, uh, stops more people in their tracks from, uh, you know, uh, going after their dreams, uh, shooting for the stars, you know, um, really achieving their goals. But if you had more confidence in yourself, if you had, you know, faced some adversity, if you had, um, you know, uh, had a little bit more mastery in uh, public speaking or sales or marketing, or you had, uh, you know, achieved some level of, uh, of, of competency, you wouldn't care what people thought, right? You would go for it anyway. You know, it's nice that people support you, but it's not required, right? Um, and I think to get that, to get to that level of mental toughness, in business, it's because you have achieved, you have hit your milestones, you've hit your goals, you've hit your quota, um, you've taken the extra courses, you've done presentations, you've done speeches, and then when it's your opportunity to really shine or, or take on a new project or even start a business, you've, you've got the skills, and most importantly, you've got the confidence uh, to go for it. And even if you don't have the skills, you know the people to go ask. Right? You know how to go do the research and bring it in, and you make what seems impossible very possible and also successful. Well, and I want to throw in there, there's also want. 
You know, Scott, when I take on a project, if I don't want to do it, if there's not some driving force inside of me, then it's a lot more work for me to be mission-focused, self-directed than it is when I want something. You know, when I first moved out to California, and you know, I came from a little small town, and there was only one mafia guy on our street that had a Mercedes. Well, I wanted a Lexus. I was going to get a Lexus, and no matter what got in my way, I went around it, I went over it, I went under it, whatever it was, I went for it because that's what I wanted. And I think a lot of times people choose professions or make choices because they feel safe. But when they do that, they 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 cheat themselves of that want, of that that goal, that desire. So this is where I'm going to drop on some of my uh, martial arts background. Um, I've been competing and practicing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu for eight and a half years. Um, and I'm a, a senior purple belt, getting ready to be promoted to brown belt. I just competed at the uh, Masters World Championships in uh, or World Championships in Las Vegas. I probably compete four or five times a year, and uh, four four times a week, maybe maybe five times if I'm lucky, depending on my schedule and if I'm traveling. But here's the point: to to dedicate yourself to something for the long term, to have that 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 big picture perspective. One of the things that we do when we compete and when we train hard against other people in our sport is that we don't focus on winning. I'm not there to prove anything. What I am there to do is improve incrementally, right? So I know if I put in the hard work, if I do the, uh, if I'm present, if I'm you know doing the right drills, if I'm doing the extra training, the extra research, um, I'm eating correctly, I'm doing the weight, whatever it is, I'm doing the extra preparation. I know the results are going to come. They have to, right? And that's a very liberating um, perspective to live in life. So even if I get uh, temporarily knocked down, as you say, or I have some adversity, or even you know the outcome doesn't go the way that I want, I don't call it a failure. I say, did I improve? And I know if I improved and I stay at it and I stay focused and I persist, right? Persistence is the number one quality of success more than anything else it's number one if i do that i'm going to get the results i'm going to get the medals i'm going to get the championships i'm, I'm going to perform at the highest levels. and i think that's a very healthy way to be as opposed to giving up at the first sign of adversity or failure or, or catastrophe well you know and i think it's okay to give up for like 15 minutes like sometimes i'll set my my iPad or my iPhone, and if I have a setback, I'm like, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not going to, ah, you know, and I'll give myself like 15 minutes. I'll go jump in the pool and swim a little bit and, you know, get all those feelings out because I'm not a good feeling stuffer. The feelings have to go somewhere. And feelings, you know, I want to talk about this next segment about feelings because. Feelings aren't really real. You know, they exist, they happen, they're a response, but, you know, they change so frequently. I think somewhere I read, especially like a woman, she can change her feelings on a certain topic like 11 times in four hours. <laughs> you know, so I've learned oh, to... Oh, you've been to my house? Are <laughs> <laughs> you taking notes? <laughs> Well, but it's important um, to know that because I think a lot of women, especially women in business and maybe guys too, I can't speak for them, but but they are like, oh, well, I don't like this or this person makes me mad or I feel this about something. 
Most often than not, Scott, I have no feelings about the tech stuff I'm producing. Like the feelings just get in my way. The feelings slow me down. You know, if I'm uncomfortable with something, that's different. But, um, you know, because I don't want to work in arenas where I'm uncomfortable. But feelings, by and large, get us into more trouble in business than probably anything else. We're going to talk about feelings when we get back from the break. We'll be back after these messages. According to state troopers, here's what not to do when you get pulled over. Don't be a lachrymist and start crying right away. It doesn't help. But if you're under 20, crying won't be held against you. Don't ask for a break. and Don't yell or start any argy-bargy. And one trooper said, if they're going to flirt with me to get out of a ticket, it would probably insult my intelligence. But unfortunately, I don't get hit on all that often. So flirting or being a gill flirt won't work. Did you know that 15% of all drivers get 76% of all traffic tickets? And the odds of winning if you challenge a traffic ticket in court are 1 in 3. So what should you do when you get pulled over for speeding? Be courteous to the officer and most of all, be honest. It's words you never heard. I'm Carolyn Davidson and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Sodium intake can be problematic because most Americans have way too much. The recommended sodium intake is 2,300 milligrams a day, but the average intake in the U.S. is 3,400 milligrams a day. Sodium attracts fluid and too much leads to hypertension, which raises your chances of having a stroke, heart failure or heart attack, and kidney disease. Table salt is definitely a culprit of high sodium intake, but there are other seemingly unseen ways to take sodium in. Sports drinks, energy drinks, and sodas all have high sodium levels. Macaroni and cheese, seasoned rice, and other boxed meals contain high amounts of sodium, along with processed meats, especially if they have been cured, smoked, or canned. Restaurant food is also a huge offender. Eating fresh food at home is your best offense. I'm Annette Hammond. Taking care of business every day. Taking care of business every way. Taking care of business. It's all mine. Taking care of business. Working overtime. Woo! Taking care of business. Hey guys and dolls, this is Sandra Beck and I'm here with Scott Lopez and we are talking today about mental toughness, mental fitness. And Scott, I want to talk about feelings because you've got a household full of feelings. You've got a lot of the girls in your household. I'm full of guys. I got two kids, you know, my dad, my uncle Gary, and my brother staying with me at a regular interval. So I'm surrounded by guys who I know they have feelings, but if they have feelings about like my laundry, my cooking or whatever, they're smart enough not to say anything to me or they won't be eating tomorrow. Um, but feelings are, are an interesting thing because intuition, hunches, a feel 
healing. Those are all very good intuitive tools for business, but there's also the negative feelings that can really impede what you're trying to do in your business. Um, I, I think it's all situationally dependent, right? Um, one of the things that's very important is understanding composure and bearing uh, and, apply, and emotional intelligence, right? Knowing yourself um, and also knowing the um, situation that you're in and the group dynamics. So what are you trying to accomplish? I mean, I, I don't think at any time does, you know, quote unquote, losing it, uh, losing your bearing, losing your composure, um, throwing a temper tantrum, uh, getting too emotionally excited or getting too emotionally depressed is going to um, help anybody. I think what, what I've seen in life is maintain an even keel, right? Uh, handle, yourself, handle yourself with grace and dignity, no matter how bad it gets, be a, a good, uh, you know, be a good loser and also be a um, very gracious and humble winner. Uh, but I, I think it's really, you know, the concept of bearing and composure um, will help, you know, will help you keep a um, clear and level head and also keeps the respect of those around you. Well, and I think it makes it really hard. You know, everybody's had the hysterical boss or the chicken little boss, you know, who's like the sky is falling, the sky is falling, you know, at every turn. And I think it comes down to personal choice. And one of the things that I found, especially with raising kids, you know, running a company, trying to do all this stuff on my own, is if I don't have outlets for my emotions, outlets for my feelings, like I'm done, Scott. I'm dead in the water. You know, I have a therapist. I go every Thursday night for an hour. I can talk to her about parenting issues, about company issues, client issues. You know, when you don't have a spouse or your spouse isn't available for this, you know, I need somebody, you know, who's kind of a coach slash therapist to bounce ideas off because I'm wrong a lot and I don't have the right information or I'm not asking the right questions. And, you know, I go to the gym every day. If I don't go to the gym every day, everyone in my house knows it because thoughts have energy, feelings have energy, that energy has got to go somewhere. And if it doesn't, what it can't do is it can't go into my dad, it can't go into my kids, it can't go into my staff. Like, like it's about setting up all these little, I don't know what they are. Like, like I, I feel like, you know, Fred Flintstone, remember when the Flintstones were little and he would go and he would pull that thing at the end of the day and it would go, Wah! you know, if I don't have a relief valve uh, put up in place for my busy lifestyle, I'm no good to anybody. Well, I think you're absolutely um, to be commended, right? I mean, you know yourself. You know that you need certain uh, support and coping mechanisms, and you go out and you make it happen, right? You take care of yourself. Uh, how, how can you take care of others? How can you perform at your highest if you're not taking care of yourself first, right? I think that's a, a very important tenet of life and, and of high-achieving, high-performing people that operate under a lot of pressure. You have got to take care of yourself. Now, that's all relative for each person, right? It could be... Um, some people need to go shopping. Some people need to go to the beach. Some people need to go to the gym. Some people need to get massages. You know, I'm not here to judge, but I think taking care of yourself uh, physically, mentally, financially, um, uh, financially, emotionally, spiritually, um, and even sexually, right? I mean, there's a lot of, uh, you know, uh, pressure and tension that can be uh, built up in that regard as well. Taking care of yourself individually in a healthy way allows you to be at your best in all these other situations. And congratulations to you, Sandra, for knowing what works for you and what doesn't. I mean, especially if you're a single parent, uh, you're an entrepreneur, 
uh, you know, you've got that support, you've created that support system, and, and I think it's great. I think it's, uh, you know, a therapist is, is outstanding, um, you know, and, and, it, and I think a therapist is also, or a counselor is a very safe, safe way to, um, to deal with things without, uh, you know, being around people or opening, your, opening yourself up to people that may have motives, right? So, well, absolutely. And, you know, the key of all your, this. Yeah. Yeah. It may not have your best interest at heart. Right. And the key of all this is safety. You know, I've got to create a safe environment for where, you know, I can create these things. And I, Scott, I wish I could tell everybody that it, you know, was so beautiful. I just woke up one morning and scheduled all these things. But, you know, in reality, when my mom died, I didn't have anyone in place that I could ask the mom questions to. So that's where my, you know, kind of coach slash therapist really came to light. And I didn't get regular massages and take care of myself until my hair started to fall out. You know, a couple of years ago, I was like, oh, my gosh, like, what is all this hair in my hairbrush? Like, this is crazy. And it took that moment for me to go, I will end up bald with the lifestyle I'm living if I don't make some changes. And it was a team effort. You know, I talked to my staff. I talked to my friends. I talked to my family. And I needed help figuring out what I needed because I had spent 20 years of my life catering to what everybody else needed. And if you had asked me what my favorite soda was, I couldn't even tell you, but I could rattle off everybody in my sphere of influence, you know, what their likes and preferences were. And that was something that I had to learn the hard way. But once you get it, you realize that it's necessary and you don't have to feel guilty about it. Well, again, um, high-performing and high-achieving people such as you and a lot of people that are listening to the show realize they can't do it alone, that they've got to build an infrastructure around them. And if you look at, again, high-performing actors, musicians, CEOs, um, athletes, what do they do? They all have coaches and advisors around them. They create a support structure so they can perform at their best. So they have the best lawyers, the best CPAs, they get they do their training. They have people that help them with diet. And I think each person um, has the ability to do that for themselves and, uh, you know, take that attitude of I need to be at my best. Therefore, I need to create an environment and protect that environment at all costs, physically, emotionally, materially, whatever, that's going to allow me to um, perform at the highest levels. And why do we want to perform at the highest levels? Ultimately, so we can have two things. Uh, better and happiness, right? People want better than their current situation and always, and ultimately we just want to be happy. So um, we, we owe it upon ourselves, I think, to, to have that, that understanding um, and that self-awareness that you, that you had to go through um, and then create that environment that allows you to be at your best and, and, and serve at a higher level and do more and achieve. Well, and I, you know, I think one of the things is knowing what makes you happy. Like, I like to be outside. So my environment is conducive for me to work outside a lot. I love my pool. Now, I don't need 10 swimming pools. So, you know, one swimming pool is enough for me. Um, but getting down deep and dirty with what makes you happy with what you enjoy i enjoy my dogs they make me happy i know no one can make you happy but they're like you know happiness um you know enhancers i like to have my friends around i like to have a house where people can come in and sit down and get something out of the fridge and and you know if they break something oh well um 
you know, knowing what makes you happy, I think is really important in creating your success model because I was wildly successful before this, but I was probably the most unhappy woman you would ever meet. I was depleted. Everything was going out. Nothing was coming in. You know, I had four cars, two, three houses, two kids, you know, a husband. And I don't know, I can't remember, I think two or three companies at the time. I mean, I could not even breathe and there was no time to enjoy all that I had and I never want to go back there. Like I I never want to live like that again. I was never as lonely and unhappy as I was the last time at the peak of my career. So again, this goes back to um, this idea of emotional intelligence, Um, knowing yourself, knowing where you're at your best, knowing where um, you you can have self-improvement. I think one of the uh, most interesting concepts is the, the, con- the concept of the ignorant um, unconscious person and the uh, ignorant unconscious person. And, and what does that mean? That means people who are ignorant and they're unconscious means they don't know what they don't know, right? You can't even coach them. They don't have the self-awareness. They don't have the consciousness. They don't know what they don't know. So you can't really talk to them and they, they're not going to evolve. They're not going to grow. But if you're ignorant and you're conscious of that, then what that means is you know that there's something you don't know. Like, wow, I'm not getting the results that I want. I'm stressed out. I am uh, getting certain um, material achievements, but my life is, you know, I'm running right into the ground and I'm burning out. That's, that's a, a conscious, ignorant person. Like, I'm doing something wrong. I need to, to, to try new tactics, new strategies. I need to adjust. I need to make changes. That's very, very, very healthy, extremely healthy. And again, um, you're to be congratulated for, for um, recognizing that, making the adjustment, and then moving on um, so you can achieve your goals and you can you know, grow your life and continue to evolve and, and take it to the next level, which is you know, what I think that's what mental toughness is, is all about. Well, and I think, Scott, you know, I had the vision of wealth that that a lot of farm kids did. Like, if you just had X, Y, and Z, you would be happy. If you just had, you know, L, M, and N, your life would be easier. And to be fair, life is easier with money than without, you know, if you use it properly. But, you know, in creating success and creating your mental toughness, there has to be room for everything. You know, I like what you said about the, you know, the mind, the body, the spirit, you know, all those different connections have to be put into your success model. We're going to talk when we get back from the break more about what does happiness looks like? What does success look like and I know that everybody's different and everybody has different things but there are certain universal elements that resonate with all human beings now we're visiting today with Scott Lopez he has a show coming up in September you're going to want to check it out it's called Disruptive Investor Radio Uh, Scott what days does it air Uh, it's going to be Tuesdays at 4 p.m. Pacific All right, so you're going to want to check that out on toginet.com. You also can find it at disruptiveinvestorradio.com. We'll be back after the break.
Welcome to Geraldine Tegelove Live, the show that shares with you the secrets of redefining, reinventing, and rebuilding your life. Having pulled herself from the rubble of financial ruin and having gone on to create a highly successful career, Geraldine has become an expert in the art of transformation. She believes that it doesn't matter where you are right now, how overwhelmed you feel, or how impossible the task of turning your life around may seem. You can do it. Stay tuned as metaphysician, international best-selling author, and intuitive Geraldine Tegelov gives you the inner understanding and the outer practical how-to to create your amazing life. Gain a fresh perspective on how to redefine, reinvent, and rebuild your life. Join Geraldine Tegelove live every Tuesday evening at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, right here on the Toginet Radio Network. This is the Toginet Radio Network, radio with a cutting edge. It's marching down the Have you ever found yourself on an airplane seated next to a nonstop talker that you really don't have anything at all in common with? When I fly, I usually want to catch up on my reading and not have to listen to an explatterator. It's even worse if they're a philodox. That's a person who just loves their own opinion. Well, now a Facebook app lets you choose your own seatmate before you fly. According to an article in USA Today, social media startups are bringing together compatible flyers before they take their seats. That's good news for people lovers, otherwise known as philodemics. A number of apps such as Plainly and Satisfly are helping travelers meet not only online, but in person. Think the Match.com of travel. I love flying and have been to almost as many places as my luggage. It's I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Taking care of guys and dolls, this is Sandra Beck, and I'm here with Scott Lopez, and we are talking today about success. What does success look like? And Scott, you know, I've been to a bunch of seminars. I've even run these seminars where people make vision boards, and they're all about things, and, you know, the things that people want, a watch, a vacation home, a, and I'm not dogging any of these things. I've, I want them all myself. Um, but I know after my first iteration of success that that's not going to fulfill me. You know, having all these things and not having the right person to share it with, not having, you know, kids to share it with. I, I realized when I was home in New York uh, at my dad's place that our lake house is beautiful. Don't get me wrong. It's gorgeous and it's wonderful. It's got all the things everybody would want. But the house sings when my aunts and uncles were there, you know, my, my nieces and nephews were there and it was messy and it was loud and it was crazy. And there's a kayak going this way and a sailboat going that way. And a kid doing cannonballs off of here. It was never more joyful for me. And I realized that wealth and affluence without heart is really empty. So, um, R.T. Ecker of the Millionaire Mind, he's got a very interesting thought on this one uh, that I, that resonates with me. Uh, in the areas of life where money works, it works really well, right? I mean, <laughs> uh, money provides financial uh, options and freedom, 
So if you want to have a nice house, you want the material things in life, healthcare, um, nice car, going out to dinner, going on vacations, that's all great, right? It's fantastic. And, and uh, I think those are all worthy, um, you know, uh, goals. And I think like the more money you have, the, especially if you take it to, you know, multiple millions or hundreds of millions or even billionaire, I live in Newport Beach, California, where we've got more billionaires and hundred millionaires running around than you can shake a stick at. A lot of money allows you to make a huge impact, which is important to me, right? You can have a bigger platform. So in the areas of life where money works, it works incredibly well. And I'll be, uh, I'll take it one step further. I don't think we're meant to be on the planet and, and uh, um, you know, suffer and be in scarcity and fear um, and, and live paycheck to paycheck. I mean, it's unnecessary. There's more than enough money and wealth and opportunity uh, for all of us, right? All, all, all both tries together. And we, we can definitely get into that uh, more later. That being said, in the areas of life where money doesn't work, it doesn't work at all, right? It doesn't help you with your relationships um, with your family. It doesn't help you, um, you know, with your self-confidence and self-esteem. Um, it, doesn't, uh, it doesn't help you spiritually. Um, so I think uh, understanding where money works in the right places, how you can make a difference in other people's lives and give back to charities or, 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 or create something that, that makes a, an impact on in a mass level and, and where it doesn't. I mean, I just love how you said you got your greatest happiness from um, having a house full of kids and, um, you know, swimming pools and, you know, just that family interaction. I think we can all relate to that. But it's just as nice to take those same people on a vacation or give them a really good steak dinner as well. And you have enough money to do that. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Right. I mean, because it, it kind of goes hand in hand. But I am going to tell you something funny. And, you know, and this, you know, you judge away anybody who's listening. But when I was first divorced, you know, I had written a check to get myself out of my marriage. You know, it's like done, done and done. You know, no ongoing payments, no anything. I drained the, drained the cash dry. And when I went out into the dating arena for the first time, I was walking around going, I am not worthy. I am not worthy. And then I put a big deal together and then I had a bunch of money in the bank. And, you know, Scott, right, wrong, good, bad, indifferent. I was walking a different walk. And, you know, I know that money shouldn't be tied to self-esteem and self-concept. But the reality was is, you know, when I was walking this planet, Stone Cold Broke, um, I felt different than when I walk around with a little money in the bank. And I, you know, right, wrong, or, you know, good, bad, it's just I recognize that in myself. I know if I have a certain amount of money in the bank, I sleep better. I know certain basic needs will be met. I don't fret as much. I still work really hard. I still show up and give 100%. But there was something in me that feels secure or uh, I don't know what the word is. Well, you just said it. You're secure. You know, there's nothing worse than having financial pressure uh, on top of you. Like, where's the next paycheck going to come from? Who's going to take care of the kids? Who's going to take care of the, you know, just, just the everyday necessities of life? And that's not what we're supposed to be about. In today's society, there's more, we live in the most affluent society in the world. But in the U.S., our quality of life is really high. So if you're not making it, it's because there's something you don't know. You just need the knowledge and the mindset, right? That's really, um, um, you know, that, that's really something that, that I feel super strong about is that wealth mindset. So um, I love money. 
I think money's great, but I also know that it only works uh, well in certain situations, and it doesn't help me with my relationships with my daughters. It doesn't help me uh, in, you know, in, in a lot of uh, situations of life. But Well, uh, yeah, anyway, my dog does not love I'm me. I'm happy with it. Yeah, I mean, my dog does not love me any more or less. You know, I'd like, I'd like to say my kids. Dog doesn't love you. Now, that's a good one. <laughs> well, but, you know, <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's, but it's true. I mean, there, it's so funny, like, you know, every once in a while, you know, and when I come back from home, I, you know, I go from, like, rural upstate or western New York, you know, come back to California, you know, which is so crazy affluent, so crazy everything, you know, and I realize, though, there's so many lessons in nature, like, yeah, my dog does not love me any more or less. But the other thing that I learned when I was home, Scott, and I know this is going to sound really like kind of hokey, but, you know, a tree, as far as I know, does not worry in the morning when he gets up. He doesn't worry if the sun's going to shine. He doesn't worry if he's going to get enough water. You know, I was walking through these cornfields and walking through the soybean fields, and I just kept looking at plant after plant after plant, and I thought, you know, I'm one of these plants. And then there was, like, the one corn stalk that grew up out of the middle of the cornfield. Like, he didn't know he was supposed to be a soybean plant, and, you know, that was me. But he was reaching towards the sun, and he wasn't worried at all that he was a, a stalk of corn in the middle of a, a soybean field. And if you've ever seen this, it's pretty obvious. It's like... Soybeans grow like, you know, two feet high. A corn will grow, you know, six, seven feet high. So I I kept looking at that one, you know, corn stalk that was growing in the middle of nowhere. And I thought, that's me. And he's not worried about, you know, he's not worried about everything. He's focusing on what he needs to do today, which is grow. Right. Have I given you enough redneck analogies today? You know, soybeans, I'm not really tracking, but I think I know where you're going with it. Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> There's a lot of people out there that are <laughs> they'll know what that I'm means. I'm just kidding with you. Again, um, you know, in the areas of life where money works, it works really well. And I think it's something to be celebrated, and I think it's something, it's a worthy goal. But I think we just need to keep it balanced. Um, I don't think we need to demonize rich people. I don't think we should demonize the wealthy. I think, um, you know, I look at today's current uh, political environment, and, and I think we're in, this, uh, in a I think we're in a, a time of class warfare, and it's destructive. It doesn't help anybody, right? I mean, what we really ought to be focusing on is helping everybody make more money and help everybody be more wealthy and help everybody make it on their own and feel that, uh, improve their own you know, standard of living and give back and feel good and, and make a difference. And uh, the financial opportunities and the financial independence will, will be there if, if people have the right mindset. So. I feel really strongly about that, and we'll be talking about that on my radio show. Um, you know, but uh, that to me, that's what happiness is. Happiness is 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 not having the financial uh, pressure on your back. It's it's using all of your God-given abilities and, and talents to to help and serve other people. It's making a difference. But to me, that that's what happiness is. And well, that's the thing about that economic power. You can make a big difference. You know, in my heyday, I was buying, you know, a thousand backpacks for homeless and foster care kids. And that was a really good feeling. Now, I can't buy as many as I did then, but I still buy what I can. But that economic power you get to, to change somebody's life, to give them something there's no better feeling than when you can make a difference. And you need to have that as part of your success model. There needs to be some sort of give back, some sort of philanthropy, something that 
you know, you look at at the end of the day and say, hey, I did that. Like, I remember a bunch of kids had sneakers because of me, you know, like that was a big deal for me. The truck pulls up, you know, all these kids line up and they're all, you know, everything's ratty and, you know, and, you know, they get these new sneakers or gym shoes. I don't know what they call them out here. Um, But that's a memory that I will take away forever. And, you know, you couldn't pay me enough money, Scott, for that moment. It's amazing, right? I mean, when we look at, um, again, I study the affluent and I I do a lot of research and read a lot of books on, on wealthy people. The number one thing that motivates wealthy people, the really super rich, it's not making more money. It's not having more stuff. You know what it is? It's legacy. It's their family. It's making a difference. It's giving back. What are they going to be known for? And so when we think of you, Sandra, and you have examples like that, um, it's going to be uh, your legacy. You're, you're known and you have a legacy of giving back and, and volunteering and making a difference. Uh, and being selfless. That's an amazing legacy. And there's nothing like it. There is nothing like it. Right. And money can't help you with that, right? I mean, it's it's better to to go out there and, and, and do all that work than just cut a check and say, oh, well, you know, I, I just donated to whatever. But to actually be there and meet the people, see the, see, see the, the emotion, the gratitude, the difference in real time, um, that's, that's amazing. And, and that's selfless, and it's from the heart, and that's that's what it's all about. Well, it's the juice. You know, if you're struggling right now to get your yourself back to work or to to do your best, go out and do something like that. Because when you see what your hard work can do, and you can see what a difference your dollar makes, you know, not just writing a check, sticking it in an envelope, and saying sayonara. I mean, actually looking at the difference. You will come back energized, reinvigorated, just just jonesing to do more to make a bigger difference than you did before. I mean, that's it. I can't leave you with anything better than that. Scott Lopez, Disruptive Investor Radio. Check it out. We will be back again next week with more great information on thought leaders like Scott Lopez. Uh, Scott, how can people reach you? It's real simple, uh, www.disruptiveinvestorradio.com. All the information is there. It's been a pleasure. I wish everybody a great day um, today and always, no matter when you hear this. All right. We'll be back again next week. Thank you for listening. On behalf of Sandra Beck, we want you to get out there today to make more money with less time and effort so you can live the life you want. Tune in next week for more tips, tricks, and techniques on Coach Talk Radio.